in this brilliant song by Matthew West called Broken Things. He says this, that the pages of history, they tell me it's true that it's never the perfect, it's always the ones with the scars that you use. It's the rebels and the prodigals, it's the humble and the weak. All the misfit misfit heroes you choose tell me there's hope for sinners like me. But is that really true? Does God really use broken things in his kingdom of grace? Are people who have messed up, who have hurt others, who have failed Jesus... Are they really able to serve in God's kingdom? Because not everybody thinks so. In his book on the life of Moses, Chuck Swindle refers to a proverb which says that the bird with the broken pinion or the broken wing never soars as high again. In other words, once you have failed... You will never attain the heights that you did before. If you've made a mess of things in your life, you'll never accomplish anything of worth for God again. And some people believe that. That's why they remember your failures and use them to keep on putting you down. They believe that if we've messed up, then we can never really serve God effectively again. But like Matthew West, Chuck Swindoll says that's a whole load of rubbish. In fact, he says that God seems to prefer to use people with broken opinions. God chooses to use and to bless broken people. The Bible is full of broken people who did amazing things for God. People like Abraham, who was an habitual liar. Or Jacob, who was a cheat. Or Moses, who was a murderer. Or Rahab, who was a prostitute. Or David, who was an adulterer. Or Jonah, who was disobedient. Or Paul, who was a persecutor. People like Peter. Peter had denied his Lord three times in the most crucial of moments. It was an incredibly painful experience for Peter. But it was not the end of his life with Jesus. Jesus didn't discard him as a failure. Instead, after giving him a miraculous catch of fish and also a hot breakfast, as we saw last week, Jesus restored Peter in an amazing expression of grace. I'm going to read from John chapter 21 this morning, from verse 15 down to verse 19. So John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. A few weeks previously, Peter had stood round a fire with the enemies of Jesus in the courtyard of the high priest. Three times he'd been asked if he was a disciple of Jesus and three times he denied it, saying, I am not. And now Peter was again beside a fire. This time surrounded by his brothers in Christ. And again, he was asked three times about his loyalty to Jesus. Jesus said, do you truly love me? Clearly, Jesus was bringing Peter back to that night of his betrayal. But why? Why did Jesus feel the need to bring this up? After all, Peter was hurt by this. Why did he have to remind Peter about that painful memory? He knew that Peter was sorry for what he'd done. He knew that he'd regretted it. Why not just forgive and forget and move on? Years ago, Uh, when I was in Scotland, I had a friend who had a problem with gambling. And he borrowed money from me to try and pay off some of his gambling debts. He was afraid of getting beaten up by the people he'd borrowed money from. Later, I also found out that he'd borrowed money uh, from some of my family members, you know, behind my back. He arranged to pay it back, but he never did. I was concerned about him and his problem, But I never confronted him about this issue. We never fell out. We never thought about it. I think he was embarrassed and I was a bit annoyed by it all. And so this unspoken issue between us just caused us to drift apart as friends. Sin that is hidden destroys relationships. But sin that is confronted in love and grace and forgiveness can heal them. So this morning, 
Jesus had to bring this issue into the light so that this failure in Peter's life would not destroy their friendship. And it's the same with our relationship with Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1, one of my favourite verses, it says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If we have put our faith in Jesus, then our past, our present and future sins have all been forgiven. And God will never condemn us. But still, our ongoing sins and failures in our lives, they still need to be confessed. This is what John writes in his letter. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Of course, Confession isn't easy. It's uncomfortable. It's humbling to confront our failures, our wrong attitudes, our wrong actions. And yet the alternative is far worse. In Psalm 32, David talks about this. He talks about the oppressive weight of sin in his life. That was not confessed. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That unconfessed sin just weighed him down. Robbed him of all of his energy, all of his joy. But then he repented and he confessed his sin to God. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt. Of my sin. If we try and hide our sin from God, then there is no relief, no intimacy, only guilt. But when we confess our sin, then we can experience the joy of forgiveness and restoration. So this morning, is there something in our lives? that we need to confess to God? Is there something, an attitude, a thought, a pattern of behaviour, things we've said that we've just been trying to forget about rather than dealing with God? Is there something you just need to say sorry to God for? Confess it, repent of it, and receive His forgiveness? But we don't only need to do this with God. We also need to do this with each other. 
In Matthew 18, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. When issues arise between us, when someone offends us, or says something hurtful to us, it's really tempting just to run away from that confrontation. It feels much easier just to cover it up. Just hope it goes away. But hearts that are not dealt with, or guilt that's never been forgiven, it always gets in the way of close fellowship. It leads to distance and separation. So we need to confront sin in love. We need to go, first of all, to the person who has sinned against us or that we have hurt. And we need to deal with it with grace. So this morning, is there someone that you need to deal with this issue with? Is there someone that you need to go to and sort out an issue that's been there for years or maybe weeks or days or whatever it is and it's been just getting in the way of your relationship? And do you need to deal with it with grace through forgiveness and acceptance? So in love, Jesus confronted Peter's failure. Yes, it was hurtful for Peter, but it was the loving thing to do. But did you notice what Jesus focused on here? Jesus didn't talk about that night when Peter betrayed his Lord, denied him. He didn't go off over all that Peter had done and not done, had said and not said. Instead, he just asked Peter about his heart. He said, Peter, do you truly love me? Three times. Jesus went right to the heart of the issue. And that's the core of our relationship with the Lord. In fact, Jesus actually asked Peter, do you truly love me more than these? You may be asking, well, what is the these that he's talking about? Well, it seems that it's most probable that the these were the, the other disciples. Jesus was asking Peter if he loved him more than the other disciples did. That's because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter had boasted. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. He claimed to have a commitment that was greater than everybody else. But his experience had humbled him. So Peter didn't reply to the first part of Jesus, or to that part of Jesus' question. He only stated, yes Lord, you know that I love you. I think sometimes in our Christian lives, we often focus on the externals. What we do or don't do. 
How many times we go to church? How much we give? How, much we, how long we read, spend reading the Bible? What ministry are we involved in? Those kind of things. But, but that's not Jesus' priority. Jesus' priority is our heart. Yes, all those other things are important, but the heart of the matter is the matter of our heart. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Our focus should be on our heart relationship with the Lord. Just as an aside here, you might have heard in these verses that Jesus and Peter use different Greek words. Some people have, have kind of studied this kind of thing and they know about this. So there's agape love, which is kind of the sacrificial, the all-in, the kind of divine love. And then there's filial love, which is often described as brotherly love, the love of a friend. And some people have claimed that the, the different use of these words here show that a deeper, there's a deeper meaning about what Jesus and what Peter are saying about the strength of love that Jesus is asking about and that Peter is giving. But just in case you do know that and you've been thinking about that, then I don't think that's what's going on here at all. And the reason is because John often uses these two different words for love interchangeably throughout his gospel. He uses agape love, filial love for both God's love and our love right throughout the gospel. So I don't think that's what John is saying. I think he's just using these different words just for stylistic reasons. But what we can see here is that Peter did not just declare his love for Jesus. He also appealed to what Jesus knew about his heart. Verse 17, You know all things you know that I love you. Peter knew that Jesus knew his heart. Yes, his actions had let Jesus down. His mouth had denied him. But his heart belonged to this Lord. And there's a challenge in this. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This morning, we might fool everybody else here this morning by our appearance and by our behaviour. We might look the part of a wholehearted follower of Jesus. We might look passionate in our worship. We might look attentive to His Word. We might look, we might sound like we're really desperately longing for God's will in our life. We might fool everybody else around us. But we'll never be able to pull the wool over the eyes of the Lord. Because He knows our inmost thoughts. He knows our heart. So there's a challenge in this. But there's also an encouragement. Because other people 
might wonder about our commitment to the Lord. Other people might see our failures and the times that we don't live up to what we profess. Other people might even accuse us. Call yourself a Christian. And you do that and you say that. But Jesus knows our hearts. Even in times of failure, Jesus knows that we love him. And Jesus accepts that love even though it's often far too weak. Peter declared his love here three times as if he was cancelling out the three times that he denied his Lord. And Jesus graciously accepted his declarations of love. Peter's commitment had wavered But Jesus' love for him had not. And although our love for Jesus may may fail, his love for us will never. Because of of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But of course, that that morning, Peter wasn't only restored to a relationship with him. When Jesus declared, sorry, when Peter declared his love for Jesus, Jesus responded, feed my lambs. Then take care of my sheep. Then feed my sheep. Jesus invited Peter to express his love for him by feeding and caring for his young and his mature followers. Now, this was not Peter being installed in some kind of leader position over the whole church. This wasn't him being installed as a kind of pope. It's Jesus who is the good shepherd in John chapter 10. It's Jesus who's called the great shepherd in Hebrews chapter 13. It's Jesus who's called the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5. As Jesus said here, they are his lambs, his sheep. They belong to Jesus, not to Peter. So Peter is not being called here as the head of the church. But he is being called to be an under-shepherd. He's been called to care for God's people. To teach them Jesus' words. To protect them from those who would try to lead them astray and destroy their faith. Peter, he used to be tempted to to compete for prominence among the disciples. But now, he was supposed to serve the disciples. To care for them. Even although Peter had just failed Jesus, even although he just denied his Lord, that did not make Peter a second class disciple. But by the grace of God, Peter was restored to the privilege of service. 
And Peter called all church leaders, all pastors, all under-shepherds to do the exact same. So in 1 Peter 5 and 2 he says this, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. He doesn't put himself above them, but just alongside them. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. So this is the role that we call in our church, the role of pastor. Which is just the Latin version of the word shepherd. So that's what church leaders are called to do. They're called to shepherd God's people. To serve them. Not to be served by them. But this is also true for each one of us who have trusted in Jesus. I know that often we don't feel good enough or knowledgeable enough to serve in this way. We're so aware of our failures and struggles, but Jesus' grace is so amazing that He doesn't just restore us to relationship with Himself when we fall. He restores us to the privilege of serving Him. We're called in some sense to depend, to to shepherd or to care for others. Maybe our family, or our friends, or younger believers. And each one of us have been given spiritual gifts to enable us to serve others as an overflow of our love for Jesus. Because we love Him, we love His people. And we want to serve Him. So each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. But finally, Peter wasn't only restored to serve Jesus. He was also restored to suffer for Jesus. Look at verse 18. Jesus said, When you're old, You will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Peter was going to be martyred for his faith in Jesus. Tradition says that that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to die in the exact same way as his Lord. He didn't feel worthy of that. That's what it meant for Peter to follow Jesus. And to some extent, it's the same for each one of us. Following Jesus involves suffering. If you suffer, this is what Peter writes in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, This is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. 
following Jesus is always costly. We may suffer criticism or ridicule or rejection, isolation, even like Peter, violence and death. And Jesus can ask us to go through all of this because he's simply asking us to follow in his footsteps. Because he already gave his life for us. So nothing is too much for him to ask of us. But although Jesus doesn't promise to save us from suffering, he does promise to transform that suffering. Did you notice what Jesus said? Or what John's comment was in verse 19? Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter's death at the hands of the enemies of God would not be a tragedy. Rather, it would glorify God. John did explain here how that would happen. But maybe it was just that his death, Peter's death, would be a powerful demonstration of the grace of Jesus that had changed his life. Because if you remember, initially, Peter had opposed Jesus when Jesus first spoke about the cross. Peter said to Jesus, never, that will never happen to you. And then in the garden, he drew his sword to try to protect Jesus from being arrested and taken off to the cross. And then when the pressure was on, he denied his Lord three times to save his own skin. But then Peter would be so transformed by the grace of Jesus that he would be willing to follow Jesus faithfully even although he knew that it would lead him to a cross. Sometimes we might not understand what God is doing in our lives. We might not see good coming from it. But the Bible tells us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Jesus promises to transform our suffering and work in it for our good and for his glory. And so Peter writes in his letter, 1 Peter 4, 19, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. If we are suffering today, let's not give up. Let's not retreat. Instead, let's just commit our hands, our, our lives into God's hands and ask Him for the grace to keep on following Jesus. So this morning, we might be all too aware 
of our brokenness. But that does not mean that we can't have the privilege of serving Christ. So let's not try to hide our failings. Instead, let's humbly confess them before the Lord. And wholeheartedly declare our love for Jesus this morning. And let's commit ourselves to following Him with everything that we have and everything that we are. In the words of that song that we we listened to at the start, Now I'm just a beggar in the presence of a king. I wish I could bring so much more. But if it's true, you use broken things. Then here I am, Lord. I'm all.